I'm not much of a handyman. I, uh, I'm good at cooking. I'm good at vacuuming. Uh, nobody dusts like I do. You need your house dust, Ted. I'm the man to call. I see your hand, sister. Of course, I cost. Vonnie is more the handyman, or I guess she'd be a handy woman, wouldn't she? <laughs> the painting, the spackling. Uh, the other day, the, the battery and the, what's that thing? Fire alarm thing went off, driving our dogs crazy, and I got up to change it. I couldn't figure out how to get into the battery, and she changes it in like five minutes. So, I'm not a handyman. I'm not a builder. But even I know that in the beginning of any kind of building, you must lay a good foundation. You must lay a firm foundation to withstand some of those storms that Janet just sang about. The heat that comes your way. You know, we have new insulation in here. That's to, to withstand the heat, keep our place cool. No one builds a house, at least that I don't think they do, starting with the roof. You build, you start at the bottom at the base, you put in the pipes and all those things, and then you put the foundation upon it. And if that's true in building a home, then it must also be true in building a person, in building the character of a person, and sustaining your character, and making you to be a better man, woman, boy, or girl, not only for 2019, because, but even though that is where we live, but for 2020. Boy, that sounds odd, doesn't it? 2020? 2020, is that the way you say it? So we'll have to have a 2020 vision thing happening. But if God calls us to be better, if God calls us to come up higher, if God calls us to give our utmost for His highest, and to be more like Him, and to be less like the superficial, changing world, and then if He called us to come up higher and did not give us tools to be a better person, man, woman, boy, girl, then that would be rather unfair of God to expect something of us that he did not empower us to do. How can a great God call us upward without giving us direction and tools to get there? As the bumper sticker says, if God called you to it, God will see you through it. I like bumper sticker theology. Very short, to the point. It's very pithy, as my English teacher used to say. But I will say, in case you need to take a nap and you're wondering where I'm going with this, I'll tell you now, so if you need to take that nap, you settle on down. God has provided all the tools we need. God has given us a, como se dice, a plethora of tools to create, to express ourselves, to move among this world in a godly manner, like Jesus did. To be transformed rather than conformed. You know that's what He calls you to, right? He calls you to be transformed by the renewing and not to be conformed and then go, <laughs> I couldn't help it. Just the way I am. 
It's almost like God has his own tools like Office Suite, like the ones that Microsoft created. Now, I had to look this up. Microsoft Office, the company, it's the third biggest, richest company in either America or the world, I can't remember. It's a bundle. I got this off of Wikipedia. You can tell this isn't my words. It's a bundle of software and services. Been around since 1988. I did not know that. 1988. An office suite was initially a marketing term for this bundled set of products. Isn't that interesting? And the first three products that Microsoft created as a bundle was Word, PowerPoint, Excel. But I'm looking at these three products, and I'm reflecting on the words that Bill Gates or whoever did create to convey what these products do, and I have concluded that God has His own set of tools for our use. God has created His own heavenly office suite. Can I get an amen? Mm -hmm. Can I get an amen over here? I've got my eye on this section today. You're looking a little suspicious. I see some nodding heads. God has His Word. God has PowerPoint. God has Excel. Word. His Word guides us. PowerPoint. His Spirit fills us. And Excel. His mission calls us to be out there in the world. To be living our best for Him. You realize that God did not create you for mediocrity. You realize that if you settle for less than your best, you are settling for the world's standards and not for God's standards. So today, we'll look at the Word, the Bible, as something that God has given us to build and to guide us. Now, a little background. Seventh-day Adventists have 28 fundamental beliefs. And the first one... Seems like the first one to me should be Jesus, but the first one in the list, I don't know if they're thought through in order of importance, but the first one is called the Holy Scriptures, which is a fancy way of saying the Bible. And it says the Holy Scriptures, Old and New Testament, are the written Word of God given by divine inspiration. Now it goes on, but I'm going to stop there. One of our fundamental beliefs, the number one in the list, you can find these online, you can find them in a book, is that the Bible is the written Word of God, and it was given to us by divine inspiration. Both the Old and the New Testament. Not just the New, superseding the Old. So the Word is our foundation. It's our compass. It's our light. It's our lamp. It leads us to Christ, and it explains the road to eternal life. So all Scripture should point you to something about God and His character. A story where something happens, you should be saying, what does that tell me about God? What is it saying about me? What is it saying about my relation to God and to the world? And as you know, if you read through the Bible last year, along with me, there's some bizarre stories in the Bible. It's like, why did they have to put that in there? Oh my goodness. Did these people really exist? But the more bizarre the stories and the more bad behaving some of those people were, the more it actually affirms that the Bible is true because if they wanted to make a fake book, they would leave out all the bad stuff. That's fake news. 
Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. So I got to ask you on the first Sabbath of the new year, is it all right to read my Bible in church in 2019? Because I need to know. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, just one verse. I'm going to start you out slow this year. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And we also... Thank God. This is Paul speaking to the people who live in Thessalonica. We also thank God continually because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the Word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So if you hear it and you accept it, one thing that makes you a believer, and then it's at work in you. So Paul says you received the Word of God, which you heard from us when you accepted it, not as the Word of men, but as it really is, the Word of God. In this one verse, Paul calls Scripture twice the Word of God. He says it's not the Word of man, it's the Word of God. And when you hear it and you internalize it and when you accept it, then you're a believer. So the Bible came about like this. God inspired a man. Most of the writings, as far as I know, all the writings in here by men. I think women can be just as inspired as men. I truly do believe that. God is no discerner of persons. In Christ there is no Jew or Gentile, male or female, black or white. Pick a color, pick a country. We are all God's children. And I will defend to my death the right of women to do ministry. As long as that's not on the record. Is that on the record? Just kidding. So the Bible came about like this. God inspired a man who wrote, and then that became the inspired word, and then he shared it either verbally or written with another man who when he heard, or woman, who when they heard it, they were inspired and they accepted it, not as the word of man, but as the word of God. So when you go out and you speak the word of God, you are Christ's ambassadors, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, as if God were making His appeal through you. So the human mind hears it, and if it's open, it can accept those words as the words of God. So saving faith, the, the firm foundation to build upon, involves the work of God opening the eyes of the hearts of people, receiving God's Word, accepting it, embracing it. And faith doesn't look at the Word of God from a distance, but it pulls it in close and pronounces it true. It, it holds on to it. It receives it. It takes it in. It digests it. It integrates it into its life. And now the Word itself is living and active inside of a person. When they take this Word in, they say, I'm going to allow God to use this book and the Spirit that inspired it, that same Spirit, that same spirit to come into me and to change me from within. Something happens. Some divine mystery happens when you allow God to change you. And this is one of the tools that God uses. You see, many times in the church, we live and we act as if when we come into church on Sabbath, it's, we live sometimes like we're leaving the real world out there. Maybe the real world doesn't start till the road. 
Maybe the parking lot and all this is some just sort of beautiful world we've created. So we come in here and we lay aside all of the real world and we just want to dwell in this make-believe world that we've created based on this fairy tale. I'm not saying this is true. I'm saying this is what some people act like. So we leave the real world behind, the flesh and blood world, and we step into this time machine, like this hot tub time machine. We step into it and we go back to this time when things were simple and we we listen and we focus on things that are not really real, they're not really based on reality, but they sure sound good, don't they? And so we we say things like we talk as if we're problem-free, we act as if solutions are only a prayer way, like, well, I'm going to pray about it, and as if that solves it. We move as if God's will is perfectly clear to us, and pain is a distant memory of a previous lifetime, and then we go home and we privately fall apart. And when things happen, people go, huh, I never knew anything was going on with them. Marriages fall apart, nobody knew about it, somebody's in the hospital, somebody tries to take their life, we don't know anything about it because nobody lived in a real world here, it was sort of this this fake thing, how's it going, oh praise the Lord, I'm okay, I'm all right. We've created this false reality. But I can tell you this, that I would not have become a Christian if when I read this world, I read this word, I did not feel like this word at its essence addressed what's going on in the real world, a flesh and blood world. I had no need of a book that had a bunch of rules or beliefs in it to intrude upon my life if it was not going to speak to my deepest needs as a man and address them with realistic answers about walking the walk and following the word and to put together a life that's real talk and real walk and to live God's truth out in this world living my life being two things and this is what I would wish for all of us To live our lives being two ways. One, biblically accurate. Living according to the Word as best we understand it. Being biblically accurate and also being culturally relevant. Being connected to the world around you, your neighbors, your job, the the mall, whatever it is, the people in publics, to be able to carry on a real conversation with people and to be a normal person and not be something else. To be transparent with who you are. To be authentically you. To be your best. To live and be the best you that you can be by the grace of God. And not try to be something else or someone else. Cannot get an amen as I sip from my Superman cup. I've lived my whole life trying to be Superman. Am I honestly following the Bible, or am I changing the Bible to make it follow me? Am I going to let God's Word change me by the power of the Spirit, or am I going to say, no, I don't want to do that. No, I'm going to pick these out. I'm going cherry-picking. I'll do that, I'll do that occasionally. I don't want to do that. Don't even tell me about that. 
Or am I going to say, this is God's word, and I'm going to let it change me? I want to live, and I want to move, and I want to be focused on the things that Jesus was focused on when he walked on this earth. I'm not interested in a bunch of rules. I'm not interested in a bunch of traditions that are designed to either make you feel really good about yourself or really bad about yourself. I don't see Jesus acting like that when he walked on the earth. He didn't seem to focus so much on the rules and the traditions as he tried to connect to people and to bring people to know God and to have their lives be better because they allowed God in and he, they allowed themselves to see that they were a child of God and that he truly cared about them and their lives could be better by letting the Spirit walk with them and talk with them. Wherever Jesus went, whether, whether he was healing on the Sabbath or sharing a meal with a sinner, Jesus brought about unpredictable, unexpected, and life-changing experiences. And generally what ended up happening is that lives were changed and the religious people were upset with him. And I thought, well, that's pretty good. Leave to have lives changed and the religious people are upset with you. Because Jesus had a firm foundation based on the Word of God, and yet He lived in the real world. He walked among people. People wanted to be around Him. Little children wanted to be with Him. Sinners invited Him to eat with them, which meant that He was not condemning them, but He was sitting with them and probably laughing and having a good time. I'm not talking about being a jokester or a clown. I'm talking about being real. He was invited to a wedding. They wanted Him at a wedding. Nobody likes that grumpy old person at the wedding. Psalm 23, verse 4. One of my favorite verses, one of my key verses in ministry. To show you that this is a real world that God wants us to be a part of. That God is a real God in a real world. Psalm 23, 4, it says... I'll read it in the good King James. Yea, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because thou art with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. See, this is the expression of a real clinging faith, clinging to the hand of God, a firm foundation, not only that God's presence will be with us, but even though there are dark deadly, shadowy places in this world, God goes into those places with us. We don't deny the existence of the places. We don't act like we've never been in those places. We don't act like God is waiting outside the place if we happen to make it out. God goes with us through the dark places of our life. So rather than enter into cancer or death or accidents and then go, where is God? Why did He let this happen to me? Grab a verse like this and hang on to it for dear life. Even though I'm dealing in the midst of death and cancer and sorrow, I'm not going to fear any evil because you're here, God. The brilliance of God's grace is that He sent Jesus to come into the dark places. Not that He's waiting outside in the light calling you to leave the dark to come in the light. He says, I'm here with you. We're going through this together. You're my child. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I'm here with you. Don't worry. So the Word of God alerts us that there are some dark valleys where we need to be going through holding God's hand. And see, cheap faith that we can create in church tells us that those dark places don't exist or that we're okay. I'm okay. 
If you're not okay, don't say you're okay. Say, I'm not okay, but I got God with me as I'm not okay. In the midst of being not okay, God is with you in the not okay. It's when you act like you're okay that you have problems when you're not okay. So in other words, pain is a part of life. Tears are a part of life. Sorrow is a part of life. Wondering is a part of life. Confusion is a part of life. And God is with you through that. So in the midst of that, you say, I am confused. I am hating you now, God, right this moment because I'm in so much pain, but I know never will I leave you or forsake you. I'm going to hold on to that. In the midst of my hating you, I'm going to hang on to that. I'm not going to let it get me down. I'm going to come out of this bigger and stronger because the Word tells me that you are real. Your Spirit tells me that you're here. The grace of Christ tells me I'm accepted. The blood of Christ proves He loves me. The empty tomb proves that He's risen over death. I'm clinging to all those promises. Psalm 30. Help me, tongue. Psalm 40. Not 30. Psalm 30, verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me. He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. That sounds pretty nasty. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. I like that word. We don't use that word much anymore. Mire, M-I-R-E. And he set my feet on a rock. And he gave me a firm place to stand. Come on, preacher. I'll say it to myself. He put a new song in my heart. A hymn of praise to our God. That's a transition. That's God walking with you through the dark places. So the dark, shadowy valley of death exists. The slimy pits exist just like the dark valleys. And just as believers pass through the dark valleys, so we fall into the mud and mire. We need rescuing. We need cleansing. We need comfort. So this is biblical truth. I am quoting to you the Bible that dark places exist, that the shadow of death exists, that tears are okay. And the Bible doesn't shy away from it. In fact, the Word encourages us to embrace who we are, what we are, and where we are. Because the Bible declares a failing, fallible world of humanity, but it also declares a loving, powerful God who came into this world to redeem us and to save us. So a biblical walk based on this Word, one of God's tools, acknowledges that we are not infallible. We are not using those fancy words omniscient, omnipotent, or omnipotent, or omnipresent. That means we don't know everything. You're not all-powerful. You're not all-present. But we have a God who is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. The Bible tells us that we are the creation, not the Creator. We are vulnerable. We are not invulnerable. We are flesh and blood. We are not steel and stone. We are men and women. We are not cherubim and angels. We are His sons and daughters, and we are not Him. We must embrace the fact that we are a people in need. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 
100% of the time, we must embrace the fact that we are people who live by grace. We live through faith every day. We, are, we need grace, encouragement, and wisdom every day so we can deny our needs, our humanness, and the reality of this world and attempt to walk through this world like we have it all together, but that is no real foundation because the real foundation is two things. People are real, and God loves those real people. God knows us in our humanness, and he loves us anyway. You see, it's the tribulations in your life that will drive you even further, farther, further, farther to God. They'll drive you to God. The trials draw believers closer to God because their faith was real, and their, the trials actually strengthened their faith. So you might have problems and wonder, where is God in the midst of your problems? Why do these things happen to you? Why do you not pray and get the answers that you want? These are the questions of the human experience. These are normal, healthy, realistic human questions, but let not the answers that you get that you do not understand or do not like or the situations you do not agree with drive you away from God. Let the circumstances of your life drive you to God and to His Word. This Word is the foundation of all that happens in the Christian faith. Jesus came. This tells us about that. And every word in this Bible should point you to Jesus. So I'll leave you with this verse. John 5, 39, Jesus is speaking and he says, you diligently search the scriptures because you think that in them you shall find eternal life. And I have yet to find a people as a whole that, that search their scripture more than Seventh-day Adventists. I'm not bragging, I'm just stating that is what I see. We are good students of the word. But the search of the word should take you to Christ. And if we have not found Christ, then we're just studying a book. And we're getting facts and figures. So you diligently search the Scriptures because you think that in them you shall have eternal life, but yet you refuse to come to me for eternal life, Jesus said to the people in John chapter 5. So my prayer for you in 2019, as we look at the tools that God has given us, that you live your life that you live the best life you have, being the man or the woman, the boy, the girl that he's created you to be. You're different than me. We're all different, and that's what makes us so much the same. Does that make any sense? You're all different, just like the rest of us. It's like a soup. Some of you are potatoes, and some of you are carrots, and some of you are spices, and and you add it all together and you got this beautiful pot of simmering church. And Christ is the head of the church and we are His body. I want to be a turnip for Christ. So this year, as you read, as you live your life, may it drive you to Christ and realize no matter what you do and how far you go, and if you strayed, He still loves the wandering sheep. He doesn't want you out there wandering but He accepts you and brings you back. Because when the prodigal father saw his son a long way off, it says he had compassion on him. 
And he ran to him because he loved that son. No matter what he looked like, no matter where he had been, no matter if he had squandered all his money and done everything, that father loved that son. And he grabbed him and he put around him the robe of righteousness and his own ring and his own shoes. And his son says, oh, I'm not worthy to be caught. And he goes, shut up. You're my son. Come back. Come home. You see, and that's the call, what he calls you to. So if you're wandering, I'd ask you to think about the beginning of the year as a good place to reassess yourself. Look at the foundation you're laying for 2019. And maybe it's time to reassess choices you've made or places you've gone or people you're hanging out with or habits you've got or new habits you need to create. And base them on the best life you can have based on the Word of God, a God who never changes. This this world around us totally changes, but the Word of God and Jesus never change. And that's the foundation I want to lay my life on and encourage my church to build their life on as well. Amen. Have a seat. You'll listen better if you're sitting. I have a a quote here which I really like. It's uh, by Ellen White from Ministry of Healing, and it says, All who are under the training of God need the quiet hour for communion with their own hearts, with nature, and with God. In them is to be revealed a life that is not in harmony with the world, its customs or its practices, and they need to have a personal experience in obtaining a knowledge of the will of God. Personal experience. We must individually hear him speaking to the heart. When every other voice is hushed, and in quietness we wait before him, the silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. May your experience be that you commune with God this year, that you hear his voice, and you have a time of reflection, a time of growth, a time of realizing you are loved, that you are not far from the kingdom, and yet you have a long way to go at the same time. May you never rest on thinking you've arrived, but may he bless you as you grow this year. May some of your growth be painful, and may some of it be fruitful, and may all of it lead you closer to Christ. God bless you this year. Amen and amen.